Steve Miller uh, is, uh, first of all, an old friend of mine. We, we were involved in some ministry stuff together in a crusade organization I was leading 35 years ago, probably, when Steve was a youth pastor in San Diego, California. That's how far back our relationship goes. And uh, when I had a full head of hair, it was a long time ago. But Steve uh, has had quite a, a run in life and ministry. First of all, he's been married to the, to the lovely Mary for 38 years, I think I saw Steve. It's a long time, uh, especially for a guy who's 30 years old. And uh, again, we've known Steve and Mary and their family for years. Steve uh, has been a very successful pastor, but along the way he's done some things that are kind of uh, different for, for most pastors at least. He uh, became a professional mixed martial arts fighter, had a lot of success there, uh, and then uh, has had a career as a strength athlete. He has five world records, uh, strongman feats, and some of you have seen him do crazy things like uh, hold a bungee cord when a, a Ripley's, believe it or not, did a big show on him holding a bungee cord standing on it. How tall was that building? a 27-story building in, in, in Las Vegas, and this woman jumped off the, bungee, off the building and he, he held her up with his hands, and Ripley's, believe it or not, did a great big special. He does crazy things like that, okay? And he's become a, 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 a well-known motivational speaker, trainer, mentor to some of America's top sport and entertainment people. I can name the names of all kinds of people that he's coached, that he's spoken to. He'll speak to crowds of upwards of 60,000 people at great big motivational events as a Christian pastor who's had a lot of success in the world of athletics and particularly strength. He uh, is involved in a great church as a pastor in Houston, Texas called Inspire Church and uh, leads a ministry there that involves about a thousand men. Uh, in case I forget to mention it, he has uh, just released a new book called Dynamite Comes in Small Packages. And I encourage you to pick this up today. It's incredibly inspirational. Um, he has, uh, the, the foreword was written by Les Brown. If many of you would be familiar with that name, a very well-known motivational speaker. He has some unique endorsers, including a guy named Terry Smith. Uh, don't you hate it when people talk about themselves in the third person? But anyway, Terry Smith wrote, Steve Miller has an amazing capacity to see a positive potentiality with the eyes of his heart and then believe and actualize what he sees. His book, Dynamite Comes in Small Packages, is loaded with explosive truths that will help you turn unseen power into everyday reality. Read this and take a big step toward fully living the life God dreams for you. I recommend this. He'll be signing these afterwards. And then, it's a great privilege as well to have his son, Stephen. Stephen uh, is the guy who's doing the strength stuff these days. Um, Dennis Rogers, a grandmaster strongman, if you know anything about that world, you would know that name, says that Stephen is one of the strongest young athletes in the profession today. Uh, not only that, he has achieved this success in record time. The thing that makes Stephen's success so interesting is that Stephen nearly lost his life several years ago to a massive pulmonary embolism and an enlarged heart. 
It looked like he was going to die. And God miraculously raised him up, and Stephen went literally from his deathbed and extreme weakness to being one of the strongest men in the world. And he is a passionate believer in Jesus and a fantastic guy. So Pastor Steve is going to come and speak. Steve and Stephen are going to come and show how that God can raise a guy off a deathbed to tremendous strength, and we're all going to be inspired today. Please give a great big welcome to Steve and Stephen Miller. Morning. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Terry. Good morning, everybody. Come on, they told me that this was the rowdy crowd. <laughs> it's so good to be here. Um, listen, we're going we're gonna to do some things really quick here. Um, at the end of the second service, as Pastor, Pastor uh, Terry said, um, Stephen is going to be pulling off a feat that is no small feat. Um, I hesitate to mention this, but uh, we, we, we've done this a number of times before. Once when the Discovery Channel came out and measured for validation and they measured the pull, what happens is there's going to be a, a motorcycle on each end, straps tied to the back of the bikes and straps to his arms, and they're going to take off full throttle and try to break his grip. Each one pulls between 1,000 and 1,040 pounds of pull until the tires break, and then it goes down to about 650 pounds. So there'll be 1,000 pounds pulling each direction trying to break his grip apart. That being said, he's got to save some strength, but I wanted him to warm up for you guys in this service, uh, at least do a little something-something, amen? So I want to have him do this real quick. Somebody come and validate this for me. How about my brother over here? The kid, you didn't know something about championship stuff, right? Just validate. This is not a plastic little kid's horseshoe. This is a legit horseshoe. There you go. <laughs> so, so let's see in terms of warming up if Steven can do anything with this. opens that up, he's taking it back around the other way. <laughs> now these are supposed to be pretty sturdy, right? I mean, this is a crescent wrench, so um, normally there's not supposed to be any given this, right? So you can undo what you're trying to undo. If he can pull this off, I need you to stand and scream, throw money at the stage and everything. All right, I'm kidding. There you go. Come on, give him a hand, Stephen. 
Amen. And as Pastor Terry said, that is always every time we do this and we travel together full time, uh, it's always special because every time I see a feat of strength performed, number one, it's great for me because it, it tells me I don't have to do any of that anymore. I am retired. <laughs> By the way, this means your turn today, okay? Uh, not that I could do everything in my day that he's doing, but nonetheless, I get to talk and he gets to work. But secondly is because I can't, I'll never forget standing there in the hospital five years ago and having a trio of doctors come out and tell my wife and I, he probably will not live through the night, but for sure not the weekend. Tell your neighbor, God is a good God. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here, everybody. Um, I've said it before. Let me say it again. I love this church. I really do. I love the Smith family. Pastor Terry is one of my favorite people and friends in the world. If I lived anywhere within 80 miles of this church, this would be my hangout spot. This would be my church. Tell your neighbor, that's my church he's talking about. Y'all aren't used to talking to each other in church. I have a bad habit, y'all. Just oblige me, okay? All right, so I, I want to uh, read a scripture t- first this morning, and then I want to uh, spend just a couple of minutes talking to you and challenging you a little bit. Is that okay? Um, first of all, thank you for this amazing weather. <laughs> it's, it's September, but we are still in the brutal middle of a summer in Houston where, you know, 98 degrees with a heat index because of the humidity puts it about 108, and I hate the heat. But um, love the cold weather, so uh, man, it was a nice, refreshing day yesterday. Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen. I'm going to read through these passages of scripture very quickly. Where, where are those going up at? Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy three, sixteen. Aren't you glad, y'all, in heaven there will be no electronics? We just know everything. <laughs> Y'all tell me if there's a challenge with that. I'll just move on. Second Timothy 3. I'm going to talk to, about Ephesians 4.13. So I'm going to talk to you about, um, about having it all. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, right. So the question that I have for you is this. How would you, by the show of hands, how would you like to be more? How would you like to have more? How would you like to achieve more? Better yet, how would you like to have it all? That's strange. Some of you lifted up your hand, be more, have more, achieve more, but not for have it all. Ephesians 4, I think they just had that up back there, right? Ephesians 4.13 says this, all scripture is God-breathed. until we all reach, that doesn't quite sound the right sequence, but anyway, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, everybody say mature, one translation, in fact, several translations say perfect, a perfect man, according to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Father, let your word do today all that it's capable of doing and lift, empower, challenge, inspire the people of God in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So when I asked you the question, how many of you like to have it all? 
most of us are going off of a script that was handed to us that is an erroneous script. I deal with a lot of people um, in the business world, and unfortunately, I don't get to like come alongside people when they're raw at grassroots level. I'm the guy they usually call in to talk to the athlete who makes seven million a year, but got busted for domestic violence and they found a crack pipe in his car. I'm the guy that gets called in to talk to the executive, the CEO, who's blowing and going and knocking it out of the park with his company, but his third wife is getting ready to just walk out on him, right? Because we've got this understanding we've been wired to believe. Listen, if you want to build a business, go out and make money, then go do that. If you want to be a good family man, build a great family, a great husband, then go do that. But you can't do both. And so we live with this idea in, a, in American culture that life, it is appropriate to compartmentalize life. We do that for therapeutic reasons. We've got pain in our lives. We've been hurt. We've been abused. We've been mistreated. So we compartmentalize areas of our life off. And then, and then when it comes to surrendering to Christ, we surrender a compartment or two to Christ. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus said this, if Ephesians isn't clear enough for you, Jesus made this statement. He said, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Everybody say perfect. Now, I didn't even want to ask that question because if I do, I, I know what the result will be. If I said by the show of hands, how many of you in here are either perfect or you're getting really close to it? Let me see your hand. I saw a hand, I saw a second hand. I saw a third hand, but he's nine. <laughs> See, because we, we, the idea, I understand one of those challenges is we don't know what perfection means. Well, our idea of perfection in this culture and, and so forth is like flawless, no room for improvement. But the Greek word is teleo. I'm not going to bore you with Greek, but it's teleo, which, is, which means to bring to equal levels of development. It doesn't mean to be flawless or have no room for improvement. It just means to be giving sufficient and equal amounts of attention and energy and focus to all of the core dimensions of your life. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I know you're going to be flawed. I know you're an imperfect human being and you'll be that way until you become, until you're in glory. But, but you can still live this life where the measure of your life is so full, so complete, so rounded that the synergy of all of these areas in your life being developed, it, it creates this exponential growth, right? So, so the idea of single or one or two dimensional success is losing its appeal. Because in our country, we have seen the kind of society and culture that results from being driven and, and, and so forth by one or two dimensional success. You know what that looks like? It's the guy that's got a body like Charles Atlas, and he doesn't have a six pack. He's got a ripped 12 pack for abs and he's broke and he can't make a relationship work. Or the guy who is an incredible husband and an amazing father, but he may die 15 years too soon because he's terribly out of shape and in bad health because he doesn't take care of himself. And he never has the money to do for his family what he really wants to do. Or how about this guy? Maybe you know him. He's the guy that is super spiritual. He's God's man. 
I mean, he never misses church. He prays. He has devotions. I'm not being facetious. He's his whole focus. He's a, he's very developed spiritually, but he has no social life. Nobody can relate to him. He's kind of mean and cantankerous to hang around. And he's a ter he's a he's an okay husband, but a lousy father. And he never again has the money to do what he wants to do with his family. Or there's the guy that's got $10 million in the bank, and he got he's got cash flow coming out of his ears, but but he's he's terribly lacking in other dimensions of life. Do you have that graphic, y'all, that, that, that we showed? Everybody say circle. See, this is what, what, what I'm talking about when I say perfection. The Greeks called it this. They called it your metron. Ancient Greeks said, used the word metron. Paul comes along and he talks about it when he says, every one of you have been given a measure of faith. The real translation there is a measure of rule. We have a circle or we have a sphere. And within that circle is the place from which we do life. And that is what we would call your world or your metron. Somebody say amen. Somebody make me feel good and say, oh, I got it. Right? And so what, what the idea is this. If, let me give you an example. If you were to take that where all those lines cross, and that was to be like, you know, the middle of a, the, the, the intersection of all the, the spokes, the lines, and put it at zero, and then the end of the line on each dimension is 10, and grade yourself. How am I in this area, scale of 1 to 10? Zero, 1 meaning I've never even thought about it. 10 is I've mastered it. And you go around the circle and you start answering, you know, grading yourself on these areas. And then you, you connect the dots and you'll end up with some kind of shape, would you not? If you erased everything outside of that shape, borrowing a little bit from Stephen Covey's 30 plus year old books, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? Then you would end up with some kind of shape. And the question you'd have to ask yourself is, will my life roll? The perfect or the whole or the complete life is not a life that is flawless and no need for improvement. But you understand the image, right? If you were at a five all the way around, which would be average, but you're a five all the way around, you understand that you have a much greater chance of developing momentum in your life and progressing and growing than you do the guy that's a 10, 10, 2, 1, 9, 4, and so, you know, what, what, what my, my heart is, is driven by is, is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen, is a holistic gospel. Holistic meaning, listen, if Jesus said be perfect, how many of y'all believe whatever Jesus said we are to be, he meant it? So when he said be perfect, he's not throwing an option out there just for the elite few, the green beret of the body of Christ. He's giving a challenge to every one of us. He's giving a command to every one of us that says, be perfect. So we can't brag about and feel good about being something that we're encouraged by Jesus, commanded by Jesus to be. That's the first thing. When Jesus said, be perfect, everybody say, when he said, be perfect, he meant it. But here's the great thing. Also, whatever Jesus throws at us or puts on us as an expectation, with it comes the empowerment and comes the focus and comes the grace and the anointing to achieve it. He would never tell you to be something and did not stand right alongside you and empower you to be what he told you to be.
I know this gets annoying. Just so it's okay, help me, right? So, so the charge that we have on our lives is not to hide behind, you know, I've got a sanctified soul. I mean, I, I grew up in church. I grew up in a little Pentecostal church way up in Northern California. And man, we had all these little, little cliches and things we'd say. People would say, I thank God I'm saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost, and on my way to glory. And if we would finish that form, we say, yeah, and you ain't got no friends and nobody likes you and you're really cantankerous out there in the world. Because I, 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 I went through this act where it made me, qualified me, positioned me to miss hell and I'm ready for heaven. Now I just sit back and take it easy. You can't hide behind any of that because Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to take the whole man and elevate every area of your life. I remember being smacked across the, the, the jaw by my half Cherokee and half German Indian mother when I would slip as a kid and say, gee, what? That's short for Jesus. And you should not take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, while I believe that you should not mention the Lord's name unless you are speaking about him or adoringly to him and so on and so forth, so there's some direct application to that, but that's not all that he meant. When this, the commandment to not take the name of the Lord in vain has to do with this, don't come into my presence and acknowledge me and worship me as your savior, but not accept me as your healer. Because I am all of those things. Don't come in and declare I'm your banner of victory and your protection from your enemies, but not believe that I'm your peace and that I'm your provider. And they would say it like this in that little church I grew up in. They would say, if Jesus is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. I don't know that we totally knew what that meant back then, but my point today, and then I want to give you just a couple of, of quick, quick things to, to pay attention to, is this, that the gospel of Christ applied to your life is not just to make you ready for heaven. It's not just an escape from hell. The fact is, is we ought to be able to go through this life going, you know what? You can have it all. You can be a great spouse. You can be a great parent and you can be healthy and in good shape and you can have friends and a good social life and make a lot of money. Come on, now tell your neighbor, say you can have it all. You don't have to scream at him like you're insane, like I do up here, but, but look at, look at him in the eye again and say, you can have it all because Jesus expects you to, number one. Number two, he has empowered you to. But that didn't come automatically. Uh, at the top of that, that, that graphic that we use, right, it's the spiritual, but that's not an order of a, a prioritized order, you know, a list of things that you should get to in that order. What it is, is it's, it's the circumference of your life. And all of those things working together should create this synergistic, you know, exponential growth. Somebody say amen. amen. I wrote a book uh, um, that Pastor Terry was talking about. It's out there. And the book is about, the, the premise of the book is this. We love these great magical moments. I've had one. I've had several. There are these moments when everything in life changes. 
The moment that you decide, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to do this. The moment that you turned from darkness and accepted Christ. The moment that somebody that believed in you spoke something over your life and everything changed. We call them dynamite moments. Anybody ever have one of those? You can look back and it's a before and after moment for your life. You can point to it for the rest of your life and say, that's when everything turned around for me. That's when it all changed. But here's the thing. If you start living your life with the understanding that success is measured by circumference, not the size of my bank account or how many businesses I run, it's measured by the circumference of my metron or my space. And then you start building a culture within that space, a, a particular kind of environment, then you, you discover this, those great life-changing moments, they have an anatomy to them. In other words, it may seem like it was serendipitous. It just popped out of nowhere. This great thing, just I wasn't looking for it, wasn't prepared for it, wasn't expecting it. It just happened. Well, when you go back and you study these great moments in the lives of people, you'll find that there's an anatomy to these moments. And then when you can figure out the patterns and the mindsets and the things involved in those moments and make that your way of life, then in your circle, you create this environment where you don't have to be one of those people that sits around waiting for your big moment. You go out and you create your own dynamite moments. Now, not in the sense that you can go, okay, today at 3.11, I'm going to create a life-changing moment for myself. Monday morning when I wake up at 7.15, I'm going to create another one. Not quite to that degree, but I can guarantee you that you can live with such a personal culture and such an environment that surrounds your life that these moments that come and elevate you and inspire you and increase you and expand every aspect of your life are far more likely to happen on a weekly basis than just the two or three that happen over a lifetime for the average person. We call it manage your metron or manage your circle. Mind your metron. So here's some things that I've learned. Y'all with me? Let me get to them real quick because I'm running out of time. I said real success is measured by circumference. It's not by, you know, you got a body like Charles Atlas, but you, you're, you're broken. You don't have any, any friends. Well, I keep going back to that example, I don't know, but that's, that's a, a relative one, I guess. So what you have to do is you pray, of course you pray, and, 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 and you pray some more. But when you get finished praying, you have to appropriate by revelation. Because I know good godly people that pray and seek God, and God is in their life, and there's other areas of their life, and you go, you know, it's... It, are you, they, they look like a hypocrite, and you know that's not their heart, but they just didn't know. They, the script doesn't say that. The script they were handed in life doesn't tell them that Jesus wants to take over this area too and show himself real and show himself mighty in this area as well. So at some point, it is, it is the revelation and the understanding of the, of, of the idea that the gospel is whole person oriented, and, and the understanding is you have to take that revelation and appropriate it. If you don't know that that's the way it's supposed to go, it won't go that way. I know I grew up with a father who was, who was you know, he could walk into the room and good looking, handsome guy. That's where I got it from. I'm kidding. 
was. <laughs> he was a handsome guy, muscular guy. He could walk into a crowded room and not even say anything and just kind of hang out in the corner. And you could stand back and watch the room slowly move in his direction. He had that, what we call the it factor, just charisma that just, he worked the room with his mouth shut. But terrible husband, absent father left in the middle of me blowing out my candles on my 12th birthday again, and I didn't see him again until I was married. Could speak and preach and encourage people. Didn't have a, much of a, a devotional or, 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 or prayer life. We could, we could talk about those scenarios in a hundred different ways that they unfold, but how many of y'all don't raise your hand because they may be here in the same row with you, right? No, not in this church. I'm talking about people in Houston. They're crazy where I come from, those hard-headed Texans. But you can think of people that you look at one area of their life and you go, man, I would love to have it dialed in like that. And then you stay around them long enough and you see like, oh man, my God, as successful as they are in that area, they're that big of a failure in another area. Can I just pound it into your spirit this morning in one final statement? and tell you that Jesus did not die on a cross and not rise from the dead just so you could say, I missed heaven, I missed hell, and I'm on my way to heaven. That he died on the cross, he was rose again, he ascended to the Father, and he breathes life into us today, not just so we can be saved and sanctified and ready for heaven, but so that the complete totality of your life can reflect him, can bring honor to him, can bring glory to him. But those things have to be intentionally appropriated. If you don't know that God is concerned about your money, you'll be spiritual and chase after God and fast and read the Bible and be broke all your life. If you don't know that God is concerned about you being in, in good health and, 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 you know, and, and living out your days as he has prescribed them to be in terms of the length of your days, then you'll, you'll love God and you'll fast and pray and, and, and pass off this scene 20 years before your time. You can have it all. You must have it all. Tell your neighbor, we've got to have it all. Better than that, better yet, the world is waiting for you to have it all. They're expecting you to have it all. The credibility of your testimony and presentation is elevated by you having it all. The single double, double dimension success has lost its appeal. The world doesn't want to see people that love Jesus and don't love people. They don't want to see people that are on their way to heaven but are broke and, and never can fulfill their dreams. They want to see somebody that they can look at and say in every meaningful area of life, I want that life. But it's intentional. You gotta, you gotta pray. And then when you're done praying, you have to buy appropriation. You have to apply with revelation, the understanding that God wants to touch these areas of your life. You have to apply that. Somebody say amen. amen. You could do it a number of ways. One, copy the patterns of the successful. How many of y'all know that if you keep doing certain patterns, in terms of conduct and habits and what have you, it is, it, there is a predictable outcome. I was talking to a guy uh, that somebody, a mutual friend had asked if I would talk to this guy, business guy, and I knew he was knocking it out of the park, and, but his third family was just unraveling in front of him. 
And so I kind of snuck up on him and I said, listen, I buttered him up a little bit. I said, I know I've heard, I'm proud of you, man. Kudos for your business. I, I, they tell me you're knocking out of the park and Google confirms that. No, you're doing extremely well. How do you do that? What's important to you? Well, I have employees that show up early and they stay late. They do more than what they're paid for. And the morale is great. Everybody loves working for, their, for, for my company, blah, blah, blah. And he started going into it. I said, so culture, right? He said, yes, culture is it. I said, well, tell me how you go about, about nurturing that culture. He said, well, at least three days a week when I go into the office, I do nothing but walk around the office and pat people in the back, high five them. I tell them how valuable they are to this company. I, I reward incentive. I honor productivity. And I, I just, I, I nurture that. And then he knew where I was going. And I said, then why is it that you know that that pattern of conduct has a return? It has an outcome to it. How is it that that is the case? Then when you go home, your wife says you're absent and your kids won't talk to you. Because we didn't get told that the, the patterns of success are transferable. And whatever it takes to build a great baseball team is the same thing it takes to build a great family. And if you can build a great family, you can build a great business. And if you can build a great company, you can build a, come on somebody. But it's systematic, there's a systematic way. In other words, we come alongside folks and teach them how to address systematically. Patterns and principles applied to every area of your life that will, if it has a certain outcome over here, it will have the same outcome over here. Am I helping anybody today? So you should come home and you should be patting your kids and high-fiving them and telling them how valuable they are and how meaningful their contribution to the family is and how special they are. And then go and do that for your wife, right? You schedule, you, schedule, you schedule staff meetings, you schedule conference calls, you schedule product rollout dates, you schedule business meetings, you schedule everything else. Why don't you schedule a date with your spouse? Because we want it to be organic and spontaneous or whatever. So in other words, it's not happening at all because you and I both know if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get right? But how many of y'all can see that if you started systematically approaching every area of your life in a way that that pattern of decisions and conduct and behavior produces a good outcome and apply it all around the circle, how many of y'all understand that you will be well on your way to having it all? Copy the patterns, be intentional. Uh, uh, um, the scripture says that we are to set our heart on things above. And then a verse later, Paul comes back and says, and set your mind on things above. Set means you're in control of that. Way too many people live their lives defensively like so much of it is out of their control. How can we be in such dominant control in one area of our life and so many others be spinning out of control? Repeat the patterns. Everybody say, wash, rinse, repeat. If it's working, keep doing it. And if it works here, then work it over here. And if it works over here, then work it over here. Tell your neighbor, this doesn't quite sound like a Sunday morning message, bless God. <laughs> I'm gonna finish with this. 
We could go all day on, on, on the, the, the practices, but the, the point that I'm wanting to, to, to press into your spirit today is it is not a greed, an ego, an eccentric, an out of inappropriate thing to believe that you can go through this life and you can have it all. It is the expectation of Jesus for our lives. And then it is the expected result of the empowerment that he comes and gives us. He breathes on us new life. He baptizes, he covers us with his anointing and his power. He guarantees us that he'll be with us, never forsake us, stay with us to the end. So the, the gift of his presence, it has an objective to it. He said, I want in all of your business. Let me in your family. Let me in your marriage. Let me in your business. Heaven is done. That's already taken care of. That's a no-brainer. But we got some more work to do because if I'm going to be Lord at all, I want to be Lord of all. So it really comes down to this. It's not just giving your heart to Jesus. It's surrendering everything to Jesus. If he's big enough to secure your eternal destination, he's big enough to come in your family and get rid of generational challenges and problems. He's able to rewrite the script. I told you, I do this in closing, I told you my father, my father passed away the week of Father's Day um, two years ago. I went back there and God did a miraculous thing. My father was dead. He had passed. He was on three different forms of life support. The hospital was telling us, listen, we've already violated protocols. This is out of control. You need to get back there. I'm in California and I'm trying to get a flight and whatever and, and no brain activity, no nothing. I finally get there. And uh, this was, uh, this was on, uh, in the middle of the night, Monday night, early Tuesday morning. And the doctor comes out and uh, he says, there's no change, there's no brain activity, no nothing. We walk in the room and within five minutes, my father opened his eyes. He looked and he saw me and he went like this. I walked over to the bed, he grabbed my hand and he slammed it down like that. I thought, what? He looked at me and I recognized that little twinkle. And he goes, he moved the tube to the side. He said, I got you. And he did that. I said, Pops, are you trying to arm wrestle me? You've been dead for four days. The first thing you do when you wake up is you want to arm wrestle me? And he goes, one, two, three. God had brought him back for the next two hours. We had unbelievable conversations that we should have had years ago. Healing moments. Got on Facebook uh, Live with some of our kids and family and, and made things right and said apologies. God brought him back so we could have some conversation that would take care of some stuff. But here's what happened. After when he passed, I walked through his house and it looked like a shrine to my sisters and I and all of our kids overboard eight by ten pictures of all three of us at the head of the bed and more pictures at the foot of the bed and every looked like a museum and when i walked through there the holy spirit spoke to me don't let that weird you out and i, I just mean an impression i heard a voice within me saying this was never about abandonment or rejection this was a man 
living a script that was handed to him. That's all he knew. Then I discovered my grandfather was known as the playboy of Chattanooga. His father, my great-grandfather, married eight times. Every man in my dad's family up the family tree married six, seven, eight times. I've been married once. I have no other children. I have no girlfriends hiding anywhere. You can follow me around, call whoever, investigate it. You, I, I got one woman. I married her when I was 11. Not really, but feels like it. You think I'm kidding. I was really young. Steven's my youngest. He is 33. Our daughters are 35, 37. October 2nd, we'll be married 37 years, going on our 38th year. Can I tell you this? If Jesus is big enough to die on a cross, ro be, ro rise from the dead and ascend to the Father so that you could spend your eternal destiny in heaven, don't you think he's big enough to step into your family and rewrite the script that has been true for generations and say, listen, that was jacked up, that was jacked up, but it will not be so in your life? Don't you think Jesus is big enough to step into your family and say, nobody ever finished high school, but it's changing now. Your kids will go to college and, and, and post-college. Don't you think that Jesus is big enough to step into your life and say, everybody in your family died in their 50s of, heart, of a heart attack? but you will live to be a ripe age of 95 and you'll be healthy and in your right. Don't you think Jesus can handle all of it? Don't you think Jesus is big enough to say, I know nobody in your family's ever had money. Everybody you know all the way up your family tree has been broke and busted and disgusted all their lives, but I'm big enough. I didn't just save you from hell and open the gates for heaven. I can turn anything and everything around. But it's surrendering all of it because he wants us to grow into the image of the Son of God unto the perfect man. Look at your neighbor and say, mind your circle. All of it matters. And he is empowering you to succeed in every area of your life. Of course, some areas may come more natural to you. Some areas may be a little more of a struggle, but he's there to help you in all of them. Can I pray for you this morning? I just want to declare something over you. Stand with me together. Just stay right where you are. Before I turn this back over to Pastor Terry, I just want to speak something over your life. How many of you guys today, by the show of hands, this resonates in you? You understand that while there's a particular area, and I don't know that you'll ever get it dialed in so that there's just no concern in your life, but there's an area of your life that's like, man, I am hitting a home run over here, but over here you're like, good Lord, I get tired of striking out. Can I see your hand? We're not going to embarrass you. We all got a area. As long as you're open to it. And you can learn to surrender all of it and apply the power and the presence and the love of Jesus to every area. It's going to get better. So just, just lift your hands like this. There's no magic in this. this it means it's just a symbolic way of saying, I'm ready to receive. <laughs> Father, to these beautiful people today here at the Life Christian Church in West Orange, New Jersey, 
I pray, God, that the revelation, I pray the understanding, I pray that the acceptance of you stepping into their whole life and elevating every aspect of their life so that you are honored and you are glorified and you are well presented in every meaningful dimension of our lives. Breathe upon this congregation today. Let this word, let this understanding be with us all week as we're driving, as we're working. Let it be going over and over in our minds because you are doing a complete work in us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a little hand of praise. Would you, Pastor Terry?